Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Just as a person traveling on the road rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other, or as a worm on a vegetable transfers itself from one leaf and then gives up the previous one. The conditioned soul takes shelter of another body and then gives up the one he had before. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. This is the process of the soul's transmigration from one body to another. At the time of death, according to his mental condition, the living being is carried by the subtle body, consisting of mind, intelligence, and ego, to another gross body. When higher authorities have decided what kind of gross body the living entity will have, he is forced to enter such a body and thus he automatically gives up his previous body. Dull-minded persons who do not have the intelligence to understand this process of transmigration take for granted that when the gross body is finished, one's life is finished forever. Such persons have no brains with which to understand the process of transmigration. At the present moment, there is a great opposition to the Hare Krishna movement which is being called a brainwashing movement. But actually, the so-called scientists, philosophers, and other leaders in the Western countries have no brains at all. The Hare Krishna movement is trying to elevate such foolish persons by enlightening their intelligence so that they will take advantage of the human body. Unfortunately, because of gross ignorance, they regard the Hare Krishna movement as a brainwashing movement. They do not know that without God consciousness one is forced to continue transmigrating from one body to another. Because of their devilish brains, they will next be forced to accept an abominable life and practically never be able to liberate themselves from the conditional life of material existence. How this transmigration of the soul takes place is very clearly explained in this verse. Om Agyan Timirandasya Gyananjana Chalakaya Takshurun Militam Dinatas Maisri Guru Venama Just as a person traveling on the road rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other, or as a worm on a vegetable 
transfers itself from one leaf and then gives up the previous one. The conditioned soul takes shelter of another body and then gives up the one he had before. The example given here by Vasudev to King Kangsa is very appropriate because people who do not have the access to experience a realization of the knowledge of the Absolute, because of their conditioned state of consciousness, tendency is to try to relate everything to our own experience. That is the nature of the conditioned ego. That it must comprehend something on the basis of its own relative experiences in this world. That it is why so many people have such a very difficult time really deeply and truly believing in God. Most people in religions today throughout the world for a sense of security, they say, yes, I believe in God. Because they want to believe in God. Because they're afraid that life would be so utterly futile if there was no God. But deep down in their heart of hearts, they really do not know. They're afraid to admit it to themselves, what to speak of to others in the society. Why is it so difficult to believe in God? Because we are speaking of a supreme entity who has inconceivable potencies, who is transcendent and beyond the limitations of our conception of reality. And we we believe to be true what we have relative experience of what is possible. And otherwise, we have to take this leap of faith. Of course, that leap of faith is important. In fact, Srila Rupa Goswami explains that to really and truly have faith in God is a very advanced platform of spiritual life. <clears throat> he describes in the Bhakti Rasamrita Singhi, At the beginning, if we have some desire, some sincere inclination for spiritual life, then by the causeless mercy of Sri Krishna, from within the heart, he directs us into the association of sadhus. Persons truly and genuinely devoting their lives in God's loving service. In that association, we sit, we open our minds, we open our ears, we open our hearts, and we hear from them. 
And through that hearing, a preliminary form of faith is developed within our heart. And through the process of hearing, this faith gradually becomes stronger. And at a certain level, it is discussed, and when our faith becomes somewhat convinced, we accept the process, bhajana kriya. That means the disciplines of sadhana bhakti. In the discipline of sadhana bhakti, we accept a bona fide spiritual master. We accept initiation from such a bona fide spiritual master. We inquire submissively. We render service. We begin to accept certain disciplines in our life because disciple means discipline. In the Krishna consciousness movement, we chant a minimum of 16 rounds or two hours of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra every day. We follow the four regulative principles, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling, no meat eating. We also learn through the process of bhajana kriya how to come to the temple and properly respect the deity, the archa form of the Lord. Gradually we learn how to personally worship the deity. We also learn how to study the scriptures in the association of devotees to gain deeper, deeper comprehensions and convictions to defend the philosophy of the absolute truth against the onslaughts of atheists and those who are averse to the principle of bhakti or devotional service to the Lord. We also learn the standards of cleanliness, the standards of simplicity, detachment, vairagya. And through the purification that takes place, after following the principles of bhajana kriya, our heart becomes very pure. And the next stage, is nishta. Nishta means firm faith, unshakable faith, utter conviction that Krishna is God, the supreme absolute truth, the controller of all controllers, the source of everything, the cause of all causes, and I am his eternal servant. So as we see, and from that faith, by continuing on, ruchi, Ruchi is that Raganuga platform where we have a spontaneous desire to only serve Krishna. No longer do we even have inclination for material sense enjoyment. And even that is considered to be in the category of sadhana bhakti. That spontaneous attraction for Krishna. And by serving Krishna under that principle, for some time, gradually, bhava, or pure love of God, awakens in our heart. So we can see that Krishna consciousness is a science, and it is not a cheap thing. And really, our Krishna consciousness is very much 
determined according to the level of our faith. But we should not think that we have so much faith now. And if we do not have that much faith, it is not that we should be discouraged. We should understand that such, such unflinching faith is a very, very advanced stage. But somehow or other, with our intelligence, our heart is being moved, inspired toward deeper realms of faith. And we must know that with trust in Guru, trust in all the previous acharyas, trust in the scripture, trust in our own ultimate logical conclusion that we are imperfect and limited and we cannot comprehend the unlimited. We have to diligently work and practice to purify our hearts, to develop this great unshakable faith in the Lord and purity of heart. But until that time, the scriptures and the great devotees of the Lord, they are so merciful that they are trying to explain the phenomena of the absolute truth according to terms that we have practical experience, just so that we can have some means of connecting it, connecting these truths to what we have the power to understand. That is why we find the great teachers of the Absolute Truth or Krishna Consciousness often speak in analogies or symbols. In the Bible, Jesus, he was mostly speaking in parables, just speaking common stories to explain higher truths because the people he was speaking to, they had to hear everything in common stories. And similarly, in the Shastra, it is described that the four Vedas are incomprehensible to the common man. And the Upanishads, only a few very, very, very deep-thinking, pure-hearted souls could possibly understand the Upanishads. And the most unfortunate thing are people are so puffed up the impersonalist class of philosophers, oftentimes, they say that the Upanishad is the real essence and the truth. You should simply study the Upanishad. The other literatures are for the less intelligent. They're not willing to admit that they're less intelligent. Because although they study the Upanishads throughout their life, because it is such a high, deep, mysterious and secret purport to the Upanishads, they never understand what it's saying. They get, the, they get a wrong idea of the whole thing. And yet they're too proud to accept the humble position of accepting the Puranas. The Puranas have been given by Vyasadeva because the Upanishads are impossible to understand without them. The Vedanta Sutra was written in such a way uh, to summarize the essence of all the Vedic literatures in codes. It is described that the Puranas, what do they do? What is their purpose? According to factual histories of the past, the absolute truth of the Upanishads and the Vedas are described in story form. That even a simple child could understand 
what's being said and what is the truth underlying because there are it's relative to some extent to our experience and the Vedanta Sutra summarizes everything and ultimately uh, Vyasadeva felt even frustrated after the Vedanta Sutra he felt there was something missing in his mission and at that time his spiritual master Narada Muni explained because you have not directly expounded the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead without tinging it with the lesser forms of religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation. And on this basis, he wrote the Srimad Bhagavatam. And in the Bhagavatam, we find so many beautiful stories, so many beautiful symbols, so many beautiful analogies, giving us a practical understanding by which we can comprehend what is the absolute truth, who is God, what is the soul, what is the nature of the soul. So here, Vasudev, knowing that Kamsa is a very materialistic person, he's very attached to the body, and because he's attached to the body, he really cannot comprehend anything beyond the experiences he has had with his body. And really, to some extent, that is the situation of all of us. Therefore, he is using this beautiful analogy just to make the absolute truth, this great mystery, something practical, something we can identify with according to our relative experience and get some grasp or understanding of. Just as a person traveling on the road rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other, or as a worm on a vegetable transfers itself to one leaf and then gives up the previous one, the conditioned soul takes shelter of another body and then gives up the one he had before. See, even in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is constantly using these symbols to give us some reference so that we can grasp what he's saying. As a person puts on new clothes, giving up old ones. Similarly, the soul accepts new bodies, giving up the old, useless ones. Because Krishna knows that except for some rare avadutas, who probably don't read Bhagavad Gita anyway, everyone puts on clothes every day. So who cannot understand this analogy? <clears throat> you put on clothes every day and you take off the old ones. So Krishna says, just like that. You do it every day. Can't you understand? That's why he's giving us, he's giving us the key by which we can practically assimilate this knowledge. And here Vasudeva is using a very, very common example. How many people walk? Everybody walks. Even a, even a little child learns how to walk. So he's saying, you want to know what the transmigration of the soul is? It's just like walking. You take your one foot, you put it on the ground, you pick up your back foot and take it off. And you step forward, you place it another, and you take your back foot and you take it off. This is what transmigration of the soul is. You step forward, you accepted one material body. At the same, before that though, you're lifting your other foot, leaving one place to accept another place. So, 
we must understand how important it is to hear from the scriptures and hear from the great souls in a humble disposition of mind so that we can really and truly understand these principles and gradually develop faith. Really the whole purpose of Vasudev's preaching to Kamsa was to try to give him some sense of faith. Why? To change his life. He could have just said, Vasudev, don't do it. Why is he preaching to him? Trying to give him faith in a higher principle, a faith in a truth. Not just so that Kamsa would become a jnani and just say, yes, I know the truth. But the whole purpose of giving him this knowledge was to change his life, to change his whole outlook on reality, to teach him how to give up his sinful activities and live for a higher purpose, a higher cause. And that is the purpose of preaching. And that is also the purpose of hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, to change our lives. By hearing from the great souls, by learning how to practically understand <coughs> according to our relative experiences those truths beyond our relative experience, we develop a faith, we develop a conviction, we develop a vision. And what is the purpose of that vision? To change the direction of our life, to change our whole way of thinking, feeling, and willing. Kamsa was a sinful man. He was about to commit the most abominable sinful act. And Vasudev was not only trying to save Devaki, he was also trying to save Vasudev. I mean, Kamsa. From a, committing such an atrocity by changing his life. So, we should understand that transcendental knowledge is for this purpose and this purpose alone, to change the quality of our life. And preaching is for this purpose alone, to change the quality of people's life. And according to time and circumstance, we must preach in such a way that that person's life will change. A devotee should not be so self-righteous to think that I have to explain all 700 verses of Bhagavad Gita to whoever I meet, whether they like it or not. It's like if you go to the West, there are Christians, they have ruined the name of Christianity. Whoever they meet, they have some, some very, very self-righteous conviction that everyone I meet, I must tell them if they don't accept my Savior, they're going to hell forever. And most people look at them and say, well... I'd rather be in hell forever than with people like you if you're the ones that are going to heaven. Jesus did not preach that way. Muhammad did not preach that way. If you don't accept Allah, then you will die by my sword. These people, they are, they're simply fanatics. They have no conception of compassion. A real preacher is one who will say and do whatever is required to help a person's faith come closer to God so that that person will change the quality of his life. If you have all sorts of faith in God but you're still a sinful criminal, what is the use of such faith? It is even said in the Shastra that having beautiful, great knowledge 
but not being a humble devotee of the Lord are like beautiful jewels decorating the head of a serpent. The serpent just becomes more proud because he has beautiful jewels. And still, still uh, engages in the same envious activities. So the fruit of transcendental knowledge is to become a humble servant of Krishna and a humble servant of his devotees. Srila Rupa Goswami, who is the assigned commission of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to, given, to give the world the highest truths of his teachings, although very elaborately and very philosophical, he and the six Goswamis have very, very deeply extracted the essence of the highest knowledge in all creation. Very simply, he explains, you want to know who a real true devotee is? He who never finds fault in others. Find that person. He's a good devotee. Yeah. It doesn't say how learned you are, how austere you are. It says one who is a humble servant of the Lord and who never finds fault in others, but who's always seeing a positive opportunity to bring others upward in Krishna consciousness. Who's so humble himself, he doesn't feel he's entitled to find fault in others. And this is the symptom, this is one of the essential symptoms of one who has changed his heart, one who is actually tasting the higher principles of glorifying Krishna. Srila Prabhupada is here giving in his beautiful purport um, the idea that this soul's transmigration from one body to another and at the time of death according to his mental condition the living being is carried by the settled body consisting of mind, intelligence and ego to another gross body. And then he explains when the higher authorities have decided what kind of gross body the living entity will have, he is forced to enter such a body, and thus he automatically gives up his previous body. Although these are the laws of nature, karma means that according to how you live your life, there will be a certain state of consciousness, a certain thought at the time of death, and that will, and according to the nature of that thought, you will be carried to your next body. This is a law of nature. For every action, there is an equal corresponding reaction. But here it is being very specifically explained that the laws of nature are all carried out at every step by lawmakers. Just like in the state, there is a law that has been made maybe hundreds of years ago at the making of the Constitution, there are certain laws of the state. <laughs> but unless there are presently, at the, at the time of now, somebody to carry out and protect those laws and execute those laws, those laws have no meaning. So similarly, Krishna has created the laws of nature. This material nature is working under my direction. But how is he directing it? 
he could do it all himself. <clears throat> but out of love, he wants to give the opportunity to his devotees to help him. Just like a mother, she could cook herself, but she allows her little children to help her just because that's what they like to do. So in this way, the demigods, the devatas, they are empowered by Krishna to help him to um, execute the laws of material nature. And it is described here that each and every living being at the time of death, higher authorities, the Lord and the demigods, the Lord and the heart and the demigods, his assistants, they decide personally where you are best suited to be transferred to after you leave this body. Karmana daiva netrena. It is explained that one takes birth in a, in a womb according to the decision of the higher authorities who execute the laws of material nature. But Prabhupada is explaining here that people in this world, especially in the Western societies, especially the leaders, they are so foolish, they are so ignorant that they have no conception of a soul. They have no conception that we are anything more than this body. Their idea is that when this body is finished, everything is finished. Therefore, they are utterly irresponsible in preparing their consciousness for the time of death. And therefore, most all of them are leading a life that will direct them to hellish conditions in the future. And Prabhupada said such devilish, ignorant brains. They are offended when someone explains that there is a soul. And they're most offended when we tell them you should give up sense gratification because it perpetuates the ignorance of the bodily conception of life. And when they see the devotees giving up illicit sex, intoxication, gambling, meat-eating, when they see them chanting the names of God rather than watching television, reading the newspapers and spending their hard-earned money on cinemas and reading sex novels. When they spend their time in the temples chanting the holy names and hearing the scriptures instead of going to the bars and getting drunk. They think that these people are brainwashed. This is a reality. There have been hundreds of people from the Hare Krishna movement and other such similar spiritual movements who have been forcibly kidnapped and gone through a process called deprogramming where they lock you in rooms, they nail the door shut, they nail wood over the windows, they do not let you sleep, they do not let you eat unless you eat meat. And they keep you up by putting ice on you so you cannot sleep and they simply harass you blaspheme God and the movement that you're representing until finally, if you're weak, you have a nervous breakdown. And in the process of her having a nervous breakdown, you lose your conception of logic and intelligence. You lose your power of discrimination. And when, they, when you have this nervous breakdown, they call it cracking. That means you, you're, you're finally released from the curse of your faith in God. 
and then sometimes sometimes it works and they just believe whatever the person says because they're in such a vulnerable condition of course sincere a sincere devotee has never it never works they go through it all they then shortly after they come back to the temple and chant Hare Krishna more fixed in Krishna than ever before but those who are not so sincere in praying for Krishna's protection they become deprogrammed and what do they do? They become, the, they become totally brainwashed by these tyrant, tyrannical demons who have just enslaved their consciousness through, brain, through actual brainwashing techniques. And then these people, to get money, they tell the person, you go to the courts and you say that they brainwashed you and sue, you, sue, the, sue the movement for $10 million. And of course, the people in the courts, the jury are the same types of people as the ordinary citizen. They're completely convinced that they're this body. They're completely convinced that sense gratification is the goal of life. They have a, they have a very, very materialistic idea of religion and anything that does not match that must be brainwashing. So, of course, the jury, when they see a person saying, they made me give up illicit sex. I'm not allowed to have dates anymore. And they made me give up even watching movies and watching television. And I wasn't even reading newspapers hardly anymore. And not only that, I wasn't even drinking. They say drinking coffee and tea is bad for you. What to speak of having some alcohol sometimes. Understand, all these people in the jury drink coffee every morning just to, just to wake up. And they spend all night watching television, smoking cigarettes when they think, my God, you had to do all these things? These people are wicked. They're brainwashing. Yes, we award $10 million. This is, this is, you want to know what's happening? That's what's happening. The persecution against Nubrandavan, why? Because they think we're a crazy cult. Why? Because, we're not, because we believe in the eternal soul. We believe we should live for the soul and God. They have no reference to that. They call it brainwashing, and they persecute. Prabhupada explained to one devotee who was going to courts because he was being sued for brainwashing, he says, you go and you tell that jury, and you tell that judge the truth, that your brains are full of stool. Why don't you, ex why don't you let us wash them? Of course, he didn't say that. <laughs> But Prabhupada wanted to make a point. Krishna says in the Gita that what is night, nashato vidyate bhavo na bhavo vidyate shata. Ubhayora pidristantastvaniyasvatadarshati. What is night for the materialist is day for the devotee, the transcendentalist. And what is night for the transcendentalist is day for the devotee. Always awake and alive to thinking in terms how to serve God and how to live according to the spiritual principle of purification. And the materialistic people, the ordinary people of society are asleep to this. Even the so-called religious people are utterly asleep to this.
Therefore, we must have a very, very scientific, conscientious understanding. Otherwise, like Kamsa, we will just go on in this grand illusion, performing acts which will not at all be conducive to our real welfare in the future. And of course, Kamsa was given the most wonderful preaching by Vasudev. And he actually accepted what he had to say. This is a very important principle I'm about to speak. He actually accepted what he was about to say. And he let Devaki and Vasudev go. He was convinced. But what happened? We'll read about that in the future. He got back into his bad association. And in that association, he forgot everything Vasudev told him and went back to his most abominable ways. He started killing all babies and he, he killed Vasudev and Devaki's baby and he put them in prison. So even if you hear the message of Godhead and even if you're convinced, if you fall back into too much material association, Krishna will steal away all that conviction and all that faith and again you will begin to act as you did before. So therefore it's very important that the treasure of transcendental knowledge be received and protected. Is there any questions? One who restrains his senses and fixes his consciousness upon me understands what is buddhi yoga or transcendental knowledge. You see, simply by controlling our senses, simply by restraining them from the objects, dragging our minds away from sense gratification is not enough. That's only part of it. You have to fill your mind and fill your senses with Krishna, the positive alternative. Ultimately, that's the only reason why we're trying to restrain our senses, is so that we can focus them more and more and more on Krishna. At the time of death, you can't just be trying to forget Glubdramans. At the time of death, you have to be completely immersing your mind in Krishna. Then automatically you will not be thinking of Glubjamans. Hmm? When you chant Krishna's name, your mind is engrossed in Krishna. Detachment from sense enjoyment is only for one purpose, to become fully attached to Krishna. We are not concerned with detaching ourselves for the impersonalists, they simply want to be detached. But the bhaktas, they simply want to be totally attached. And we only have one motive for detaching ourselves 
so that we can put all our attachment in Krishna and his loving service. Hmm? And then even if you think of a Glovjaman, you will be thinking how it is Krishna's prasad, it is Krishna's mercy. If you think of that at the time of death, you'll go back to Goloka Vrindavan. Huh? Glovejimin comes to your mind if you think, oh, how I will enjoy it. You'll take another birth to enjoy a Glovejimin. But if you're thinking, oh, how merciful that Krishna's mercy is coming through this, then you'll go to Goloka Vrindavan to eat Glovejimins with Krishna. Huh? Just learn how to be attached to Krishna. Just learn how to always think of Krishna. That was later. What was the reason? Because Narada Muni understood the plan of the Lord. And he understood that what was inevitable was to be, and he wanted to speed it up. He didn't want time to be wasted. He knew what Kamsa would do. He knew what an atrocious person he would be. He knew that on the basis of this, Krishna would appear in the world, and therefore he was thinking, let Krishna come as soon as possible. Things are not getting any better. So he was simply an instrument in the hands of Krishna for this purpose of attracting Krishna sooner to make his most glorious appearance in this world. And also it is explained that after Kamsa sent all these demons to kill all children and do everything atrocious, uh, Narada Muni wanted Kamsa dead. He was a rascal. So he came and said, Don't you know that this eighth son that you're looking for, it's Krishna, the son of Nanda and Yashoda? And at that time, Kamsa invited Krishna for this wrestling match. Krishna told that to Kamsa just so Kamsa would finally, once and for all, be finished and Krishna would be glorified. Yes? You don't want to get out of the conception, you want to simply correct the conception. Now we are thinking, I am this body, and all things in relationship to this body are mine, my home, my family, my wealth. Huh? Understand, I am not this body, I am the eternal soul. Hmm? And what is mine? The, the, the eternal sacred benediction to serve Krishna. I am the soul, the eternal servant of Krishna, and what is mine? That service, that right to serve. We have to cultivate 
proper, true understanding of I and mine. The impersonalist philosophy wants to destroy the conception of I and mine. Neti, neti, neti. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this and I'm not that. But what are you? This is what is important. Aham brahmasmi. I am Brahman. But what is the activities in that Brahman? That is bhakti. The eternal loving service of the Lord. Hmm? Any other questions? Yes. yes. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.